because the word says there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be here with you today and we've been looking forward to this uh, for a few weeks now. Thank you for the trust that you've placed in me to come and serve the Lord with you here at Bible Baptist Church uh, as your interim pastor. Now, let me explain that for just a moment. Some people have difficulty understanding what it means, interim pastor. Well, to me, it means that I'm your pastor until someone else is. And that doesn't just mean that I'm your preacher. So I do look forward to being here with you Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights, and at other times uh, through the week. But whenever you need a pastor, I would be very honored if you would just reach out. Uh, we'll make sure that uh, my cell number gets published so that you can reach out to me whenever you might need that. In the meantime, I know that your deacons have that number, and so if you reach out to one of those brothers and uh, he would share with you that number, feel free. Everybody look me in the eye. Feel free to reach out to me at any time, just like you would any pastor that you've had to serve you here in this wonderful congregation. Uh, I want us to do life together. Amen. Amen. So again, thank you so much for uh, the honor of serving with you for this season of life and ministry. God is so good, and you're supposed to say all the time. Let's try that again. God is so good, and all the time, amen. Well, let's try that. You still aren't convincing me all the time. There you go. He, he is, and he's good uh, in every avenue, in every facet of his dealings with us. I just want you to know that he is a good God. So our being together for this season of life, in my opinion, is just part of his grace and his goodness. I wonder this morning if you have a favorite verse or a favorite text of Scripture. Is there one particular verse or one particular text that just kind of sticks in your heart as your go-to verse for different things in life? Mine, just so you know it up front, it's not what I'm going to preach this morning, but mine is Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, where Scripture says that God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of things in heaven on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will do what, church? Confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that is my favorite text of Scripture. And I'm sure many of you have a favorite text of Scripture. When I ask you that question, I'm reminded of one of my hero preachers. You know, preachers have hero preachers that have influenced them as they have uh, sort of grown up as preachers. But one of those heroes of mine is a preacher by the name of Jerry Vines. 
And I was hearing Brother Vines preach in a pastor's conference several years ago, and he was talking about favorite verses and favorite texts of Scripture. And he talked about a church that he served when he was a young pastor. And he said that in that church, God was blessing and a lot of young families were coming into the fold and with that, a lot of young children and babies. And so they had to very quickly grow the nursery ministry in the church. That's a great problem to have, by the way. And so they had to get with it and get active down in the nursery ministry. And one particular Sunday morning, I guess they had maybe one or two more babies than they knew what to do with that morning. And the lady who was over that ministry came out and she shook the pastor's hand before she left the building that day and said, Brother Vines, I want you to know that down in the nursery, we have adopted a theme verse. And he asked her, well, what in the world is that theme verse for the nursery ministry? He thought it would be something like, let the children come unto me, you know, one of those verses. And she said, our theme verse, I don't know where it's located, but it's that verse that says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) Now, he told this for the truth. He said in that same church, there was a lady who was still a young adult, but she was getting northward in her 20s on up toward 30, and she hadn't married yet. And so he tried to play matchmaker and that kind of thing, as pastors do. You know, sometimes pastors don't know how to mind their own business. I don't know if you ever noticed that, but that's what he was trying to do. And so she just told him one time, said, Brother Vines, I want you to know that I am still single and I'm not married because of my theme verse of Scripture. And he said, well, I would love to hear what that one says. And she said, I don't know where it's located, but it's that verse that says, I will not have ye ignorant brethren. (laughs) Now listen closely. This is what he said. He said he went back to that same church many years later to preach a homecoming service. You know, when churches have homecomings, often they'll invite back a former pastor to preach that service. And he said he went to preach that morning, and that same lady was still in the church, and this time she had changed her theme verse of Scripture. And she told him that. She said, Pastor, I want you to know that since you were here as our pastor and the years have come and gone, I have adopted a new life verse. And he chuckled and said, I remember what the old one was. I can't wait to hear the new one. And she said, it's that one that says, if any man will come after me, let him come. I wonder if you have a favorite text of Scripture or a favorite verse. A lot of people do. Well, without question, there is one particular verse in all the Bible that is most people's favorite verse. Are you familiar with the website Bible Gateway? Bible Gateway is a really good website. In fact, it is the most popular website for running scripture references on the internet. I'll tell you how popular it is. If you were to go home this afternoon, you can try me on this, and just get on Google, 
and simply type in the word Bible and click search the very first website that's going to pop up is Bible Gateway. It's the most popular Bible website on the internet. Well, every year they look back over their records from the previous 12 months and they calculate what are the most sought for verses using their platform. I looked at it last December. I always look at it every December. I've got a little thing that reminds me when it comes out because it's just interesting, you know, based on some things that have happened throughout the year to see the verses that people are searching for. Well, in December of 2022, I'm going to give you the top five verses that were sought for on Bible Gateway. Number five was one that we love, Psalm 23, verse 4, where David writes and says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Number four was Romans 8, 28, where Scripture says, For we know that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. Number three was Philippians 4.13. You know that verse. It simply says what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Number two was Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, where God says to the Israelites, For I know the plans that I have for you. And what a comforting verse. God knew what he was going to do for his people who were in exile. And God knows what he's going to do for we, his people, right now. But you probably guessed it by now. The number one verse sought for on Bible Gateway in 2022. It was also the number one verse sought for in 2021 and in 2020 and in 2019 As long as they've been doing the study, it's always the number one verse because it's the most popular verse in the Bible. It's the gospel in a nutshell. It's John's gospel, chapter 3, verse 16. And that's where I want to start my service as your interim pastor in that one basic verse of Scripture that gives us a beautiful view of the wonderful love of God. If you wouldn't, you're able, would you stand with me this morning? And here's what I want us to do. We're just going to look at this one verse. I'll share about the context, but as far as reading, we'll just read it together. But you don't need to read it because you have it memorized. So everybody look up this way and let's all say it out loud. Here we go, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You for the blessing of being here for the fellowship that we have enjoyed one with another. Thank You for the good worship, Father. And thank You, Lord, that now we have the opportunity to review Father, what is 
the gospel in a nutshell. Lord, thank you for that conversation that our Savior had with Nicodemus all those years ago. And thank you, Father, that Jesus our Lord crystallized in that one verse of Scripture what we need to know to have a relationship with you. Father, I pray this morning that not one person who's here in this room or one person that might be watching online, Father, not one person who hears this message would walk away from it feeling unloved. I pray, Father, that this morning would be a great time for us just to remember who we are to you. I pray and I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and amen. Thank you for standing with me. Would you be seated? No wonder sometimes when you go to a ball game in a big stadium or you watch it on television, you'll see somebody with a poster, a big board that they raise up in the air and it just simply says John 3.16. No wonder sometimes when you're driving through a town and amongst other articles of graffiti, you'll look over on a wall and someone has painted that reference, John 3.16, because without question, it is, I believe, the greatest verse in the Bible, because you know what the Bible is, right? Someone once took the word B-I-B-L-E, and he formed an acrostic around it and said that the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth, B-I-B-L-E. And that's really what it is. It's a story of how God created everything that we know, and God created Adam and Eve, and then a race of human beings that have followed since. It chronicles how Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, and with their fall, the whole earth was cursed, and every person, every man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever been born since the fall has inherited Adam's sinful nature. You understand that this morning. We are sinners. It's literally in our genes. We can't shirk it. We can't get away from it. And frankly, outside of a touch from God, there's nothing we can do about it. But the Bible, from that very beginning, and the fall of man, chronicles the story of how God brought to this earth someone who could do something about it. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know from the outset this morning, your only hope, not only for this life, but for eternity to come, your only hope is Jesus Christ. And church, that means we're in a really good business, right? You know, there's a lot of great things you can do with your life. And I hope everybody here is fulfilled, whether you're a student whether you're a business person, whether you're a worker, whatever you do, I hope you're fulfilled in life, but I want you to know that you have the greatest purpose, and that great purpose is to communicate the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because we live in the midst of a lost world, and the only hope, beloved, 
is the hope that we can share, and we know that hope in our hearts and lives, and again, His name is Jesus. Well, the context of John chapter 3 is that there is this Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus who is beginning to hear the stories about Jesus Christ. He not only is intrigued by the stories, he notices something about everything that he's hearing that leads him to approach Jesus with a question on his heart. And the question on his heart was simply this, Jesus, are you the Messiah? Now, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 2, he comes to Jesus and he calls him teacher. And he says, we know, Rabbi, that thou art a teacher who's come from God because no man can do these miracles that thou dost except God be with him. Now, you know what? Nicodemus was almost right in his assessment of Jesus. And here's why I say he was almost right. He was right in that nobody could do what Jesus was doing. Nobody up until that time in history had ever done what Jesus had done. And nobody from the moments Jesus was on this earth to the moment of his ascension has been able to do what Jesus did. And so Nicodemus was almost right when he said, Jesus, nobody else can do what you are doing unless God would be with him. Now what he didn't understand was that God wasn't merely with Jesus, but Jesus was God. Jesus was God. Don't forget it. Jesus was not just someone who was created to come down and represent God, but John clears that up for us in his gospel in chapter 1. And he says that the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word condescended. The Word came down and we beheld Him as the only begotten of God the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Nicodemus says, I believe there's something interesting about you, Jesus. And so he's trying to get to the question of whether or not Jesus was Messiah. But evidently, Nicodemus had something about himself that was on his mind and in his heart that night when he talks to Jesus because notice how Jesus gets straight to the issue in verse 3. And Jesus looks at Nicodemus and he says, Verily, verily, or truthfully, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting how Jesus had a way of getting right down to the heart of what someone was curious about. And so the heart of the matter with Nicodemus was not just merely, Jesus, are you the Messiah? But Nicodemus is wondering about his own spirituality. Jesus perceives that. He knows it. And he says, I tell you, Nicodemus, you cannot be with the Father unless you're born again. In other words, Jesus is saying, you cannot be saved unless you have a new birth. And it's from that statement, 
from our Lord Jesus Christ, where we get our terminology in the Bible-believing gospel church in talking about being born again or experiencing a new birth. May I remind you this morning that being saved does not mean that you're the same old bad person trying to live a better life, but being saved means that you're a brand new person. The Bible says, old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so that's why Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and he says to him, Nicodemus, it's not about being a Jew. It's not about being a teacher. It's not about being a Pharisee. It's not about knowing the law. But Nicodemus, you must be born again. I remember back in the 70s, when I mentioned them, this person, it's not that I agree with his politics or a whole lot about him, but back in the 70s, Jimmy Carter was running to be the president of the United States of America. Some of you might remember that he sat down in an interview and the person conducting the interview asked him, Mr. Carter, what kind of Christian are you? Well, I'll tell you this, Jimmy Carter was right that night because he said in that interview, I am a born-again Christian. That's the right answer. And that's the answer all of us need to give. If anybody ever asks you, what kind of Christian are you? Don't say I'm a Baptist or don't say I'm a Methodist or whatever else. The only kind of Christian that is a Christian is one who has been born again. There's no other way, Jesus says, to enter the kingdom of God except to have this new birth. And so it's in the context of that conversation where Jesus gets to the very heart of the gospel, convincing Nicodemus that it's not about who he is as a Jew, not about who he is as a religious person or a Pharisee, but that he had to have a relationship that gave him a new birth to come into the kingdom of God. He says that you can't be born again based on what you know, but you must be born again by an act of the Spirit of God. He says in verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. We're born again not because we're good people or believe the right set of beliefs, but we're born again when we give up and let God. When we say, God, I can't do it on my own. I can't be good enough. I can't give enough. I can't sing enough. I can't do the right things enough. But God, you must do for me what I can't do for myself. And here's what happens. God steps in. And God brings that new birth, and it's all about the love that He has for us. That's my introduction, so you better listen fast. I want us to look at this one verse, John 3.16, and be reminded 
of the great love of God. Now listen, there are all kinds of ways to preach John 3.16. You've heard hundreds of sermons on John 3.16. You've studied it in Sunday school and in discipleship groups. But here's what I want to do with you this morning. I want us to just take a few moments, and, and I want to make three hopefully very simple statements about the love of God. So that again, in a few moments, we can leave here. Number one, if we've never experienced this love, come to this love today. And leave here experiencing fully the love of God. But number two, I want us each and every one to be reminded of what we mean to God and how much He loves us. The first thing I want to say to you very quickly this morning about the love of God is that it's complete. God loves us with a complete love. Notice the first part of the verse. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Now, you understand because you've heard other people preach it, other Bible teachers teach about it, you understand that that in the Greek languages, or in the Greek language, there are several terms that are all translated as the word love. First of all, there is a term, storge, which is the kind of family love that parents would have for their little children. We understand that type of love that exists in a family. There's eros love, the kind of love that a husband has for his wife and the wife has for her husband. And then there's phileo love, which is just brotherly love in general. But the highest word for love in the Greek language, you know this, is that word agape. Now we get confused about it in the English because we can use just that one word love And it means all sorts of things. I can easily illustrate that for you. I could talk to you about my favorite meal, which actually is soup, beans, and cornbread. Throw some fried taters on the side, and we're getting down, right? My favorite meal. And so I could look you in the eye, and I could say, I love soup, beans, and cornbread. And then in the next breath, I could talk about the cats. I'm big blue to the bone, just so you know that. And I could tell you that I love the cats. But you know this, my love for beans and bread is different than my love for the cats. And then in the next breath, I could say to you that I love my bride, Miss Amy. And I do, God knows, I love her with all my heart. And and you know what I mean by that. My love for my favorite dinner, my love for the cats, and then my love for my bride, they're all different things, although some of them were about this close. But you see, the Greeks didn't have that problem because they had these separate words. And so when John is communicating what Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3.16, 
he reaches deep into the palate of the Greek language and he pulls out a word that is bigger than all the other words that are translated as love. It's agape love. It's the kind of love that always puts the object of the love above the one who is giving the love. The Bible tells us in a beautiful verse of Scripture in the book of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, God says to the ancient Israelites, listen to this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And wow, you can see that so beautifully portrayed in God's relationship with the Israelites. You know, sometimes they would walk with God and sometimes they would run away from God. Sometimes they would be very close to following the covenant and then at other times they would uh, drift into idolatry. Yet through all of that, God says to them, I love you unconditionally. I love you despite what you do. And my friend, God says the same thing to those of us who are related to Him through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know today that God loves you in spite of you. He loved you in eternity past. God loved you before you were ever born because He knew that one day you were coming and He knew that one day you would know that you need Him. And God loved you all the way back then. God loves you right now. You might be here this morning and and you might feel very unloved. Well, listen to me, if you feel that way, it's because you don't understand who God is to you. Regardless of what happened yesterday, beyond what you walked through last week, God loves you today. And God will love you tomorrow. You can't ever go anywhere. You can't ever do anything. You can't say anything. You cannot ever step into a boundary where God looks at you and says, I no longer love you. You see, God's love for you is complete. God so loved the world. Agape love. But not only is God's love complete, the second thing I want to say about the love of God is that it's proven. God's love for you is beyond dispute. He has proven it. Notice what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that He did something. What did He do? He gave His only begotten Son. God loved you and loves you so much that He decided to give the Lord Jesus Christ to you. In other words, God didn't just shout down from the portals of glory, Hey world, I love you. And God didn't just send another prophet or an emissary from heaven to say to you, I love you. But God gave His only begotten Son, His one-of-a-kind Son, 
for you. God has placed His love for you beyond dispute. It's proven. I remember several years ago when my youngest son was very young and my older son was a freshman in high school. And at that time, Alistair, my oldest, was dating this little high school girl. And they'd been boyfriend and girlfriend for a long time at that point. And so he had saved up some money, and he had decided on this certain thing that he was going to go buy his little girlfriend for Valentine's Day. So here we were in February, and we were making our way to the store the night before Valentine's Day, and Alistair was so excited about going and getting this for his girlfriend. And my little Andrew wanted to know more about it at the time, and so I remember the conversation going on. So there I was driving, Amy was to my right, the boys were behind us, and I heard what they were talking about, so I, I adjusted my rearview mirror just so I could watch that conversation take place. And then all of a sudden, little Andrew asked his big brother, Alistair, he, he said, Bubby, that's what he called him, he said, Bubby, how much is this going to cost you? And Alistair named the price. I look back in the rearview mirror, and there's Andrew's eyes about as big as saucers. And he looks at brother, and he says, Bubby, you mean you're going to pay that for a girl? And then listen closely. I'll never forget this. Alistair patted Andrew on the shoulder, and he said, Andrew, my little brother, you don't understand it, but it's just the price of love. Alistair had decided he was going to prove his love. Let me remind you this morning how God proved his love for you and for me. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love toward us. He demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In our sin, in our brokenness, and in our shame, the Lord Jesus Christ went all the way to the cross where He died for us. Never forget it. When you quote John 3.16 and you get to that middle part and you talk about the fact that God gave His only begotten Son, remember what that means. God didn't just give Jesus to come down and to teach us a lesson and then go back to heaven, but God gave Jesus to live a perfect life, to be arrested when He didn't deserve to be arrested, to be put on trial, and then ultimately to go all the way to the cross. So when you think about the passion, when you think about the fact that Jesus was stripped down and they took that scourge, and they scourged His precious back. Just remember this, in all of that, God was saying to you, and God was saying to me, I love you. And when they took the cross, and they placed it on His shoulder, and He began to walk down the crowded streets of Jerusalem, enduring the scorn and the shame of all of that, just remember that God was saying to you and God was saying to me, 
I love you. When Jesus collapsed beneath the load of the cross and someone else had to help him up and to carry the cross, God was saying to you and to me, I love you. When they get up to Mount Calvary and the hands that created the world were stretched out and they were nailed to a cross of wood and the feet that brought the good news and the gospel of peace were overlapped and they were nailed to a cross of wood when they took that spear and they thrust it into his side and the blood and the water gashed out. Just remember that God was saying to you and God was saying to me, I love you with every anguishing breath that He breathed upon the cross and with every drop of blood that fell from His precious body to the ground, God was saying over and over and over again, I love you. God's love is a complete love. God's love is a proven love. And last of all, I want you to see this with me this morning. God's love is essential. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a beautiful promise, amen? If you just believe, you shall not perish, but you have, by contrast, everlasting life. I want you to think about those two things and contrast them. You see, Without the love of God and without accepting it, the Bible says you'll perish. But with the love of God, with embracing it, accepting it, believing in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you'll have eternal life. What's in that word perish? Hell. We don't talk much about hell in churches these days. But I want you to understand this. I want everybody to listen to me very closely. People who die on earth without a relationship with Jesus Christ go to hell. I don't love saying that. That doesn't make me happy to say it. But it's what the Bible says. And I'll stand with the Bible. But you don't have to perish... While hell is in that word perish, heaven is in that terminology everlasting life. There is a story that Jesus told that shows us very clearly what happens when people die. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You you know it. But as a quick reminder, you have a very wealthy man, a very poor man, a man that had everything, a man that had nothing, and they both died. The Bible says in Luke 16, it came to pass that the beggar died, 
And he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out, saying, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in the flames. Those are red-lettered words, folks. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to me closely as we close this morning. God's love stands between those two eternities. You see, God loves you. There are a lot of people in hell today who are there by choice, but they're not there because they were unloved. Aren't you thankful for the little word all in John 3.16? All means all. Because God loves all. Whosoever. Same as all. God loves whosoever. God loves you. Regardless of who you are, what you've done, where you've been, God loves you. You're a whosoever. I'm thankful I'm a whosoever. And I'm thankful that as a 10-year-old boy, back in 1980, I understood that without accepting the love of God, that I was on my way to hell. I remember the moments when I couldn't even get to sleep at night because I wondered if I would live to see the morning rise of a new day. Remember all the anxiousness that that brought into my life. But listen to what I also remember. I remember when I reached out and I took the love of God, how all of that went away. Today, if you here and you've never received Jesus Christ, I want you to know that you can come today. You can be saved today by repenting of your sins, trusting, believing in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, but things have you down, I understand that. Life gets really hard, doesn't it? I want you to be reminded that in the midst of it all, God loves you. It's unconditional. The choir sang in their song this morning. It's proven. It's always there. And it's what will take you to glory. Today as we stand together and bow our heads, in just a few moments I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm going to ask the Lord to empower you, to strengthen you, to come if you need to come. If you need to come and, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today, would you come and do that? I'll take the Word of God. There's others in this place who would do it as well. And we'll share with you how you can know Jesus as your Savior today. Maybe you're here this morning, child of God, and you know the love of God, but you're not sharing it. God wants you to share His love with everybody around you.
And maybe there's somebody today that needs to make a commitment to do that. Or maybe today you're just down and out and you're stressed. And you just need to stand in front of the Lord and thank Him for the love that He's given you and ask Him to help you to feel that. God's concerned about how we feel today. Let me tell you, God wants you to know that He loves you with this vast, rich love. If you don't know it today, would you come? Lord, thank you for the blessing of the day. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here to worship you. Lord, now I pray if there's one who needs to come and receive Jesus, one who needs to come and make a commitment to be someone who shares Jesus, Father, whatever you have in mind for each and every one of us, help us to be responsive and obedient to your will today. I pray and I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and amen.